30 Nerdy's presenting sponsor and the home of all of the official 30 Nerdy swag is Advertising Expressions. Juice, what would Superman be without the big S on that shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about Iron Man? What, what if he couldn't slap that Stark Industries logo on everything? You know, Clark and Tony, they probably go to Advertising Expressions, like us, for all their advertising needs. Oh, yeah. And so should you. And when you need your own symbol, like for work, church, school, a team of super friends maybe, check out Advertising Expressions. They can help you get your name and logo in front of as many people as possible, as often as possible, for as long as possible. That's right. So whether you're a billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, or faster than a speeding bullet, check out Advertising Expressions at advertising-expressions.com. Or give them a call at 423-586-3270. And tell them the nerds at 30 and Nerdy Podcast sent you. Fortress of Nerditude, it's the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, with your hosts, Josh Davis and Tyler McDaniel. 30 and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Advertising Expressions, Tennessee Legend Distillery, Gatlinburg Brewing Company, and Encore Theatrical Company. 30 and Nerdy Podcast is a bad cast company production a member of the inner circle and a survivor of the apocalypse. Find 30 and Nerdy Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Learn more about 30 and Nerdy Podcast at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Got something to say? Email us at 30andnerdypod at gmail.com. Now, it's time. To nerd up or shut up, the nerds are here. What's up, nerds and nerdettes? Welcome back to another episode of 30 Nerdy Podcast. I am El Ducarino, the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, joined by the Podfather, the co-host of 30 and Nerdy Podcast, the doctor of nerdonomics, Josh, the Juice, Davis. Hey, man. I haven't decided if I'm speaking to you yet or not. Why is that? Because well, I almost you... died, or? Oh, that'd be pretty bad of me. <laughs> oh, you almost oh. died? Let me just ignore you for a oh, while. Oh, because of where I went. Yeah. yeah. Left me here alone. Mm. You've been out playing a foosball while I've been at home with Steve. Uh, Bobby Boucher. No, you went to Comic-Con and you left me here at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know you could have gone had you not had to see Metallica. Well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or as Metallica would say, yeah. Uh, maybe next year. Maybe next year because I'm definitely going back. I am. I thought Fanboy was great. That time we went in Knoxville when I got to meet Edge and Duke Balf- or Duke from Haven. But, oh, my God, I'm hooked. What we need to do is hit up Dragon Con. Yeah, that's the next. It's actually closer than New yeah. York Comic Con. 
because that, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, man, uh, we haven't been face to face in a while. Yeah, since yeah. since first Hobbit. Yeah, the first Hobbit. Uh, due to COVID reasons, uh, which we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that that scary, you know, uh, brush with my maker that I almost met. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, you know, without sounding too uh, um, political, thanks to science, I survived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I am glad to be back in the fortress. I really am. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a few reasons. One, you know, to talk about Comic-Con. Two, we're back in person uh, after three weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and... Another is uh, I get to see your face when I give you this phenomenal gift that I got you. I thought and, it was for Christmas. Oh, no. There's stuff for Christmas, too. Oh, man, um, you spoiled This me. one, though, I had to see your face. I couldn't wait till December. Okay. Um, but we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, due to COVID reasons, we were not face-to-face. Then you went to, uh, which we talked about, you went to, was it? Living out loud or... Louder than life. Louder than life, whatever. Uh, when you first said you were going to Louder Than Life, I pictured the big thing in the boys' season one. <laughs> the big church thing that they did. <laughs> I was like, I don't think Josh is going to a big a big Christian conference. Yeah, like in the boys. Not this time. Now not that's, this time. That's next month. Yeah, that's next month. Yeah. So, we talked a little bit about that. We finished up uh, our Hobbit run, which was great. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, we talked, you know, endlessly every time we talked about an uh, uh, installment of The Hobbit, we kept going back to the well of it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. But but we hope that you don't take that as we disliked it. Still love it. Loved it's still it. Middle Earth. Loved it. It's still Middle Earth. And uh, it definitely has me amped for the series coming out. Uh, but now we are in... Our favorite month of the oh, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nerdtober. It's Nerdtober at 30 and Nerdy Podcast, and we have got a hell of a lineup. Big things popping, baby. Big things popping. Little things stopping. That's right. Uh, and we're kicking off today, a little later, with Evil Dead. Yeah. We're going to talk Evil Dead. Yeah. Kick it off strong. Uh, because we personally know someone who worked on the film. His name is in the credits, by George. Yes. David Horton who we have worked with on the stage mm-hmm. uh, multiple times. Um, I have been fortunate to actually share the stage with him, and you have worked in a more, like, he's worked tech yeah. and stuff like that mm-hmm. capacity. Mm-hmm. But one of the most brilliant minds I've ever spoken to, I have, in whatever you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> I have endless respect for that man. Um, yeah. We give each other a hard time about our Star Wars disagreements. Yeah. I think he's a little unreasonable sometimes. <laughs> you didn't back me up on that I'm today. I'm not going to back you okay. up on that. Now, the third one you left happy. I, the, the fan service in the third one, but I also say without the fan service, you know, what is there? What, I mean, the fan you, service. What, what more do you need than that? <sighs> Did you feel something? Did you feel something when you saw that third movie? Well, yeah, because okay. Carrie died. Technically, you felt something in the second one, too, because I was there. When when we, we thought Leia was dead. When we thought Leia was dead. <clears throat> At least that time. through space. When we saw Yoda. 
Yeah. You when know. Luke disappears, that's what would, what, what would Kevin Smith say? Mm, if you feel something. It did its job. It did its job. I, I, okay. Okay. But I anyway. don't think he's that unreasonable. Uh, Man, I mean, the, it should have been Tauntauns. <laughs> Come on. It should have been Tauntauns, he said. <laughs> so, we are talking Evil Dead with David uh, here in a little bit. Uh, he's going to be joining us, and he's going to talk all about the film. Not just the film, behind the scenes. Stories that you probably haven't heard. Sam Raimi stories. Sam Raimi stories, Bruce Campbell stories, stories from the set, how things were done. Man, it's so crazy for me to think, like, I am two degrees away from the original Spider-Man trilogy, okay? Because we know David Horton. David Horton is friends with Sam Sam Raimi, and he did Spider-Man. And he did (laughs) Spider-Man. And is returning for Doctor Strange 2. Yes. Uh, so, before though, as we mentioned, I went to New York Comic Con. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. I'm so... NBD. Uh, yeah, NBD. Um, and I came back with a nerd word. Okay. And it's actually one of the titles of one of my daily updates. And it is, this weekend in October, New York City becomes... Nerd York City. It is chocked full of nerd culture. And Hudson Yard, by the way, which I'd never been to, freaking beautiful area, man. What the first night we walked out, we were done for the day. We left out the back and we were right on the Hudson River and the sun was setting and it's a fall evening in New York. It was like sixty degrees. I was like, This is A one steak sauce in the greatest city in the world yeah in the greatest city in the world work it was it was it was life changing man i mean i'd never been to anything like that i'd Mm. always heard stories i you know listening to odph the last two years talk about being there uh i also i gotta go i gotta go i mean and (laughs) It happens to line up with after no one has moved away from New York. Because <laughs> um, before he dropped the ball of, oh, I'm leaving New York to move to Chattanooga to open my own school, I said, hey, in October, <laughs> I might be going to Comic-Con. Uh, good opportunity. We can just stay with you, right? And he was like, well, I'm not going to be there. Not so much. Not so much. So, But we did have a great hotel. It was the Courtyard Marriott in Chelsea. Uh, literally a... 12-minute walk to the Javits. Mm-hmm. Nice walk. Well lit. A uh, lot of marketing. It's not really Times Square, but it's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. And I got to take Maddie. Um, and I was a little uh, nervous for her because her extent of nerd culture Is doesn't go beyond us. Yeah. You know, she's witnessed us do an episode. She's gone to Marvel movies with us. I've taken her through Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, the MCU, Supernatural, stuff like that. But I was like, I've at least been in a nerd herd environment before. She has not. And she said, I loved it more than I thought I was going to. And I learned a new respect. Even on things I have no idea what they are. And I said, babe, there's things I don't know what they are. And she's probably not really seen a lot of, like, cosplay in person, you know? No, she hasn't. And so it's like, you can tell that you're getting pretty close to Comic-Con when you see, you know, five Harley Quinns and Daenerys is walking down the street. I mean, yeah, we were walking 
towards the Javits with our people. Yeah. I mean, we were walking with Daenerys, with Sylvie's, and Scarlet Witches, and Harley's, and, you know, different variants. People were creating variants of Loki. Probably a lot of Deadpools. A lot of Deadpools. There was a whole section in Comic-Con where these guys met up, and they were different versions of Deadpool. Yeah. Like a nun Deadpool, a Gandalf Deadpool, uh, and I was like, and there were a lot of original. Did you see any Dino Pool? Yes, 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 yes. And we saw a phenomenal girl do Gator Loki. And it was amazing. And she handmade it, and it was all so cool. And I was really, the things that I didn't know, and I'd I'd ask some people, I'd be like, is that an anime? And they'd say, no, I created it. Oh, wow. I mean, it looks like something you would see on an anime cartoon. Tends to be uh, a handful of creative people in this this bunch, this population, you might say. And I talked about it on the little updates I did, but, I mean, there were booths there of, like, people handcrafting wooden mugs and swords and wands and not just big celebrities, but creators. Not just content creators, but handcrafted jewelry and... Of the nerd culture and hand-built keyblades mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I was like, oh my god. You remember the Magneto I did a few years yes. ago with the black helmet? Yeah. Yeah, got that from something like that. Wow. You know, I had to do the painting myself yeah. and everything, but you, know, I mean, you can this, find this anything was, there. Uh, I'm, go- I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And if you listen to the update, I'm, updates, I'm just kind of going to zoom around those, not talk about everything I talked about in the updates. Because I want you to go back and listen to those. So if you listen to day one... It was kind of a trial just to get there. Uh, we had original plans, um, but <laughs> I'd, I'd never flown Delta before. My extent of flying, um, the only other thing I've flown other than Allegiant was the year we went to Europe. I flew out on, I think it was American Airlines, out of Knoxville, landed in New York, got on American Airlines, went from New York to Rome. So I'd never really known much outside of Allegiant. And Allegiant on Tuesdays and Thursdays does $35 flights, <laughs> you know, one way. And so, like, sometimes in the summer when no one was living up there, we'd leave on a Thursday for $35, come back on Tuesday for another $35 a person. In and out. Mm-hmm. Hour, hour flight from Knoxville to New York. Delta, <laughs> first of all, had us lay over in Atlanta. We flew further south... To get on another plane to fly longer north. And like that first of all doesn't make sense to me. When we know it's an hour and ten minute flight from Knoxville to New York. Bro that happens man. I I went from Knoxville to Charlotte just to turn around and go to LAX. That's ridiculous man. That's so crazy. Just how it works out sometimes. It's insane. And so our flight out of Knoxville was delayed. We were literally waiting for over an hour for the crew to get to the airport. The steward and stewardess, the (laughs) pilots, they just didn't show up on time. Wow. They were just coming from the hotel. We're still waiting. (laughs) Kind of like that. We're holding for five. (laughs) One of the actors isn't dressed. Um, But yeah, I was like, this is their job. (laughs) Like, did they not set an alarm? Surely they're at a hotel nearby the airport because their job is to be here on time to fly us where we paid to fly. And so put us an hour and a half behind schedule. So by the time we land in Atlanta, our connecting flight is already taken off. 
and we go to the desk and we're like, not our fault. You're absolutely right. Not your fault. So we're just going to, for, for free, switch you over. And it leaves in another hour. It's like, dude, we had a plan. <laughs> you know how I always joke, like, I'm done making plans. Because when I make plans, <laughs> you know, I've said that for you. When I make plans, they fall through. Um, so it was, it was a trial. But it was an adventure. It was a journey. Um, and a lot of it was... Uh, Maddie was like, you know, thank you for not being angry. And I was like, none of this is in my control. So, if it's not something I can control, I'm not going to get angry about it. I just hadn't had coffee yet. And I was jonesing. When angry, I was unable to focus without my caffeine. Yeah. I was so tired. Because we got up at four that morning. Mm. And so we finally get there and we do day one. And most of day one was uh, walking around. Exploration. Exploration. Getting the lay of the land, the feel of the place. And if you see from pictures, there is a... When you walk in, uh, we did the pre... You know, you can see my wristband, my Reed Pop wristband here. Um, they had tents set up to where you could go to the tent and show your ID and your proof of vaccination to get this. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of the weekend, you wouldn't have to do the whole, give me your ID, give me your proof of vaccination at the door that's how a lot, uh, lot of in. life worked as well and i was like why wouldn't you do that uh so we did that and despite everybody there having to be vaccinated everybody was still in masks and you know what i didn't hear complaining because they were there yeah they did the work to go and negative nerdies you mm -hmm. said on the update negative nerdies <laughs> i was tired man when i did that first one um so, uh, and I got to, for the first time, meet Ken M. and Rich and Pad face-to-face. -face. And it was so cool. They're great guys. I mean, they're great to do crossovers with, but they're even better live. Um, uh, they were so nice, and we took a picture, and we talked, you know, all throughout the weekend. We'd run into each other, and we did some panels together. Um, the, the thing that hit me the most is I was with my people. I could have said and talked and looked what I would probably be like looked at weird here in Morristown if I was doing that in the mall, talking about certain things or dressed a certain way. Or I was with my people. Nobody was going to say It's like a, a different world. I was with the herd. The nerd world order was at large in New York City. Yeah. Um, I did get a long-distance glimpse of Kevin Smith. As he was uh, coming out of the uh, Sandman panel, because he does a voice in the yes, second he does. volume. Yes, he does. Uh, he was there. Cat was there. Someone else. Uh, but I saw a distant glimpse, and I it took every bit of me not to run across the Javits and be like, Kevin! He's like, hey, man! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, had his purple, his big-ass purple jacket blazer. that he wears, his blazer yeah. that he wears. and uh, Looks great. Even from a distance, yeah. I was like, man. Um, but I tell you one one thing about Kevin Smith: if you had sneezed, he would have, and and he heard it, he would have hollered out, "Bless you!" Yeah. He always does that. Nice guy. Yeah, nice he's guy. Very nice. I mean, I've not met him, but <laughs> you know. Uh, so pretty much that's most of what day one was. Uh, day two, we went to the Wheel of Time panel, which that's the show we've been talking about. Some my cousin Taylor's in it. Uh, Rafe, his roommate, is who is writing it. 
and got it produced and he's a big fan and rafe was in the panel and i was like i've met him <laughs> like oh my god i was know your cousin him. there too no he wasn't on part of the mm-hmm. panel but he was with rafe like you could like there would be times where rafe would kind of look so he was there yeah he was he in the room where rafe was yeah, yeah. filming because it was a, a zoom panel um but most of the main cast was there and it was cool they showed us a exclusive clip this is going to be a big show man when's this drop uh this drops Season one drops December, December or January one, but we got an exclusive clip. Um, Really exciting, and something they did that they did not advertise they were doing, that pissed a lot of people off. Um, While we were waiting for the Wheel of Time panel, they debuted the trailer to the new Resident Evil. In that panel, while we were waiting for Wheel of Time, on the screens they debuted the trailer for the new Resident Evil. Okay. I was like, ah, this might upset some people because this is where it's being debuted. Not in the other rooms. It's being debuted while waiting for Wheel of Time. I was, and it, it did piss off a lot. They of definitely people. didn't show it anywhere else? No, it pissed off a lot. of. They were like, we would have went to the Wheel of Time panel just to see that, that. trailer. Yeah. Um, but it looks good. Uh, as we know, Mia, Mia's, Mia, uh, Jakovic yeah. or something like uh, that. Um, she's not in this one. She's yeah. done. Yeah. This is a complete reboot. Right. Um, but Dum uh, Dum Dugan from Captain America, he's in it. Uh, it looks really good. It looks a little more uh, true to the games. Sure. Uh, it looks good. Wheel of Time looks great. I highly recommend you all to... You can go back on YouTube for New York Comic Con and watch that panel on demand. Uh, I, I highly suggest you do that. Um, I'm sure they're not going to show you the scene, but hearing the cast talk and all that about getting to ride horses and the fights and only women have magic in this world. So it's really cool. Much like here in the real world. Mm-hmm. You magic Much like here. you. Now there's 11 books and they've already been approved for season two and season one. They're filming season two right now. Season one hasn't even dropped. So... That's a good good sign. Um, of course, the boys panel. I got a picture with Aaron Moriarty, mm-hmm. who is my favorite in the movie, Starlight. Love some Starlight. I love Starlight. Um, the panel was Aaron, Jack, Anthony, Chase, and Karen, a.k.a. Starlight, Huey, Homelander, The Deep, and Kamiko. They were hilarious. No, uh, no Carl Urban, huh? No Carl Urban, and yeah, I half a, expected a Jensen appearance. Like a surprise. Although you would have come undone. I would have come unglued. You would have probably cried a little bit. I probably would have. Like, I was expecting, like, him to show up in the suit and surprise everyone because yeah. it's New York. Yeah. And, but, no, I mean, they were hilarious. And they, they kept going back to the, uh, the, the, the deep scene where he gets his gills uh, sexually molested. Cringe. And they just yucked it up. About that scene. Because for weeks before they filmed that scene, sitting in the trailer where they did makeup was just this torso cutout of Chase with gills and stuff. And they just keep looking at it in the corner and be like, I wonder what that's for. This is your future. <laughs> um, but it was great. They were funny. They were high energy. Uh, Anthony Starr is, wore this weird tracksuit. I heard about that, actually. Um, not what I expected Anthony Starr to walk out in. Pulled it off or no? P- 
pulled it off. Okay. Looks great. Okay. I couldn't wear that tracksuit and beanie. But... Kind, of, kind of like those red cowboy boots that Ted has. It's like yeah. pulling them off. Pulling them off. Totally. Totally. He made it look good. And he's hilarious. And you can tell that everyone on that panel is not just a fan of the show they're doing, but they're nerds. They, they talked about, you know, the writing of the comics. They talked about... Um, other nerd culture that they love to go see in the movies and when they nerded out you know uh um jack quaid talked about just getting to meet carl urban <laughs> you know he's like this is aomir yeah. you know uh, i was like i'd probably be the same way like yeah. oh you're gonna be in the movie with carl urban i'd be like ee! <laughs> <laughs> um and aaron was just so kind i was awkward in that first, you're a little starstruck. I was very starstruck, and there was a, a plexiglass panel between us, sure, which is fine. Um, but I walked in, and she was like, "Hi, how are you? Welcome to New York Comic Con." I was like, "Hi, um, you're my favorite character." She went, "Really?" I was like, "Mm-hmm." And then they said, "Okay, we're ready for the picture." And I just, if you could see in the picture, my hands are to my side. I didn't be like, can we fist bump the plexiglass? Can we high five the plexiglass? Can we point at each other? You know, like you see people doing when they're comfortable with oh, other yeah. celebrities. I was like, <laughs> uh, Paige put me in a headlock when I took a picture with her. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> and if you look at the picture nerds, which is on our social media, you just see my hands down to the side and me just cheesing. I've got a picture with Daniel Brian Danielson <clears throat> from years ago, and I was wearing a shirt of his that he had never seen before. So right before the picture, he was asking me about my shirt. He's like, oh, I haven't seen that one. Hot topic, man. <laughs> um, and of course, the big thing of night two was I went to the Ghostbusters panel. Right. Ghostbusters Afterlife, which was marketed as just the Reitmans. Just Ivan and his son, Jason. Now, Ivan did the originals. Really big friends with Harold Ramis. Yeah. Um, and Jason did this one, his son. Now, they worked on it together, but... Ivan was like, this is Jason's movie. I mean, you know, I just sat. Contributed. I just contributed and sat beside him in the chair. Um, but that was what was marketed. And then they brought out Finn. And then they brought out the rest, of the, you know, the kids. Every kid was there. And the mom was there. And the panel's amazing. They talked about, Finn talked a little bit about Stranger Things and the audition process. And it was a code name. And he had no idea what he was auditioning for. And... Uh, so the, the panel host said, now Jason, you've brought a, a clip, an exclusive clip, and you could immediately see Jason just kind of smile and get giddy, and he goes, well, we all been talking, and we think you've waited long enough. I'm sitting in between Dre and Rich from Three Fat Nerds, and they both just start reaching across me to like pat each other like we're gonna see the movie we're gonna see the movie and i'm like uh, uh, we're gonna see the movie what <laughs> can they do that <laughs> and dre's like i'm hitting dre on it i was like oh my god i, was, I, I text maddie i was like maddie they're showing the whole movie <laughs> um so us and seven thousand other massive ghostbusters fans got to watch ghostbusters afterlife a month and a half almost before it comes to theaters. Wow. And when I say thousands of middle-aged men left that room misty-eyed, yeah. doesn't do enough justice to 
if you're a fan, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not saying a word. And they had the men in black walking around. Hundreds of these men in black. No phones and stuff I like mean, that. I mean, they yeah. were perusing. Yeah. And it was like when one would pass you, you'd see the other one. I mean, they were tight-lipped. Yeah. And I found out that if they did catch you with the phone, even if you were just texting your loved one, you were gone. And the next day, your badge wouldn't get you in. Oh. You'd be banned Ooh. from New York Comic Con. That's how serious they do that. I stuff. mean, it's worth it. It's, it's worth a sacrifice it. that uh, everybody's and probably willing to. When make. I say that this has been worth the wait, it is a love letter to us. I wonder what would have happened if it had been terrible. And you've got all the diehard fans there. You'd have known. You would have known would pretty have early on if it was terrible. Yeah. Um, all I can say is it's worth the wait. It's beautiful. And stay for the credits. Okay. I mean, I'm just getting misty-eyed thinking about it. Um, I've been a Ghostbusters fan my entire life since I first saw it as a kid. And I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. I wanted to ride an Ecto-1. I wanted to bust ghosts. I wanted a proton pack, even though it's 100 pounds on your back. Um, It's amazing. Man, uh, night. I I don't think anything. I could have probably hugged Kevin Smith, and I still would say, seeing Afterlife made the whole weekend for me. Yeah. Um, a close second would be seeing Maddie's giddiness to David Harbor. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Harper's her favorite character in the in Stranger Things. Yeah. And so, I got her this pic photo op. Because uh, our three-year anniversary is coming up, and, and I got a photo op with Aaron, so I was like, I'm going to get Maddie a photo op with Hopper. He's going to be there. Um, she she wouldn't go alone. She's like, you have to come with me. You have to come with me. So, you know, twist my arm. <laughs> I went with her. Because <laughs> uh, not counting the star, a photo op gets four people in. Yeah. Um, but his panel was amazing. David Harbour, he's a New York boy. Um which we talked a little bit about this. The fact that they had Hayden Christensen oh. light the Empire State Can Building. I just please point this out for just a second? I'm sorry. This is this is your little uh, recap of Comic-Con, but I just have to interject here for one second. I'm sorry. First of all, of all the Star Wars folks that you could bring in, you bring in Hayden Christensen. And you let him... I thought it was the Statue of Liberty for a minute, yeah. so I really went haywire. But even so, the Empire State Building, an iconic American landmark. He's not even an American. He's Canadian. And he ruined Darth Vader. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you let David Harbour light it? Yeah. He's a New York exactly. boy. Freaking Hopper. Yeah. Man, like, have him light it. And you know what? Even if it had been like Ewan McGregor who is also not an American, I would have accepted that. Because <laughs> he Obi-Wan. was uh, he was a great Obi-Wan. He was a great Obi-Wan. <laughs> and he's great in general. But our uh, David Harbour uh, photo op was right beside Hayden's. And it was in between John Cena and Hayden. I was like, one, I don't want to see. One, I can't see. <laughs> and, <laughs> and But there was one girl, man, who walked in. I would have swore to you it was Portman from episode one. Her Amidala cosplay 
if I were Hayden, I'd have, and she walked into the photo op, I'd have been like, uh, like episode one on yes, the gala? when she was like the big, the big hair. She had her hair up hair. and and through the loop thing, and she had the dress hair. and the the face paint and her uh-huh. mask. She actually customized the mask to below her nose match up with her makeup to look like Perfect. Queen Amidala. Amazing. If I were Hayden, I'd have been like Natalie. <laughs> Am I being punked? This I was like, she wins that photo op. No one can top that well, photo op. Let me ask you this. Will I be naming my firstborn son Tyler? No. Uh, for those of you, I got scared, okay? Because I wanted to stay another day. <laughs> um, so, uh, you I... would have been famous. I texted... I would have. I'd have been viral. You know, I always joke about it. I wish this would go viral. But that would have for the wrong reasons. I told Josh uh, that Hayden was there and he talked about... I can't believe they let them let him let the Statue of Liberty. I was like, no, it's the Empire State Building. He said, still. And I, he said, what is it you said? I would name my firstborn no, son. No, you said, I thought about walking up to him and, and spitting in his face and saying, the Jew sends his regards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, my God, Tyler. I would name my firstborn son Tyler. <laughs> this is your chance right here. I got nervous, man. <laughs> we were so close. I, I didn't think that I'd ever even be close to his corner. But you did see him, though. I didn't see him. No, they, you do not get to, those people They're curtained are curtained off. Curtained off, and the photo area is curtained off, the waiting area is curtained off, and they're taking out the back curtain mm-hmm. when they're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't see him, uh, thankfully, or it might have enticed me a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should have thrown sand at him. He hates that. He hates sand. Uh, so David Harbour's panel. This is the one I'm going to go a little more in depth about. All right. Uh, he started acting in Off-Broadway at 19. Did not know that about him. I didn't know that. One other thing that Stranger Things doesn't do justice for is his freaking height. The gentleman is huge. He's very tall. 6'5", mm-hmm. 6'6", six, six, yeah. easily. Um when we walked in, I wish they would photoed my reaction because I looked up. And I was like, "God, like I didn't expect this. I didn't expect him to be that tall." Um, but he, when Stranger Things season one came out, he was doing Shakespeare in the Park in New York City, um, and he tore his Achilles while doing it. And he said that was the moment he realized Stranger Things was a thing, like it was going to be a thing. Because after it aired. He started having people waiting for him after his his performance of Shakespeare in the right, Park. Right, right. And they just, he'd just be like, are you Shakespeare fans? And they said, no, we're Hopper fans. Uh, and he was like, oh, no. It is going to be a thing. So he was like, thank God I tore my Achilles. <laughs> and didn't have to do that much anymore. Because um, he said that during season one, before he got Hopper, he was ready to hang it up. He had done a bad TV show that just bombed. He wasn't really getting any acting. He was ready to just go back to the stage and kiss this bigger celebrity dream goodbye. And so, and he's like, and it shows in season one. The darkness that Hopper is in, you know, I was easy, it was easy for me to play that about you know, my dead daughter, my wife leaving, you know, the grungy, disgusting Hopper, because that's who I was at that time in my life. And he said, but I came out of it. Thank the Lord. And he said, and season three was the funnest I've had in Stranger Things. So season three was so much fun. Carrie Elway's being a part of it, getting to wear the 
Magnum P.I. type shirt, mustache, and the stuff that was done in three. He's like, it's the most fun I've had on set. Um, his favorite thing about Hopper is that he may be a jerk, but he'll die for your children. And he's someone yeah. who you want in the foxhole with you. Yeah. Uh, he talked about some of the tropes, and I, you can ask Maddie this, I marked out when he used this uh, metaphor. Actually, a simile. He said, Hopper's like Gandalf. Uh, he said, one through three, he's Gandalf the Grey. In season four, you're going to see Gandalf the White. Oh, wow. And I just perked <gasps> up, and she looked over at me. I go, oh, he just said Gandalf. <laughs> he's going to have powers that yeah. can vanquish the Demogorgon. He said he becomes more a, a more self-aware character, um, and it's like Gandalf the White. And he talked about fighting the Balrog, and like he's like, you know, that I was like, I just found a new favorite. I love him, <laughs> David Harbor. <laughs> um, he talked about being Red Guardian. He talked a little bit about Black Widow. He said the fights were hard. He's like, this is hard. He's like, the people who have done it for more than one movie, my hats off to him because it's hard on your body. Because yeah. um, you're doing stuff. What a lot of people don't realize is, not every action scene is the stunt double. You have to do some yeah. things. Especially when the camera's on your face. Yep. Um, and he started talking about character. And this is where I really fell in love with David Harbour. Uh, he said, I believe that every page should advance the character in either action or dialogue. There should never be a page of a script where the ca character is stagnant, even for one page. Yeah. Whether through dialogue, action, stage directions, the character's should be advanced. Um, he said that his favorite lines of Hopper are the one or two line, two word lines that reveal the character. Um, he said his favorite line, and it's terrible. He said it's absolutely terrible. He said this is not David Harbour talking, but my favorite moment that really showed Harper in season Hopper in season one is when uh, Joyce is talking about you know he's missing. He's in her office. She's in his office and. She's like, you know, people pick on him. He's not like other kids. You know, they call him baggy. And he said, he says one thing, is he? You know, and he was like, and I love that. Because that showed more of Hopper than any action scene could have early on in the season one. It's just that, is he? Because Hopper, it starts out, you know, it's 80s. He's a white male. You know, he's probably homophobic. And he was like, David Harbour's not. But that showed so much of Hopper, and I love that moment. And then he said, now, um, I don't want someone from, like, the Daily News in here who just does clickbait articles online to come out and say, David Harbour's a homophobe, because I know you're in here. And then a, que a, p a person got up to ask questions. He opened it up for, and I was too nervous to even get up. We were right by a mic, too, and I could have been the first to jump up, but I was like... <gasps> What would I say? Yeah. Um, so, somebody asked him about Hellboy. And he giggled. <laughs> and he said, <clears throat> uh, I really want to say things about Hellboy. But again, there are clickbait internet writers in this room that will turn it around and make it look like David Harbour hated Hellboy. 
or hated his co-stars or hated the director. He's like, so I will just tell you about Hellboy the character. I read them before I was Hellboy. He talked about the author. He talked about his writing, the character. He talked about how his Hellboy was a little more comic, classic, grungy and dirty and, than Ron's and less bright comic booky with the other characters and a little more just dark. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said, but that is all I want to say things about Hellboy. But I'm not going to. And he reiterated, because of clickbait, internet writers that I know are in this room. So every time he was asked a question, he'd say, how do I say this? Yeah, you have to be careful. How do I answer this? He was so self-aware and so vocal about what we nag about. You know, like, oh, don't, like we, I'm not even going to say their names. Um, clickbait articles. Everyone shares them. Yeah. Everyone falls prey to them. Yeah. Too many people believe them. Yeah. Uh, he also talked a little bit about, you know, Millie and the kids and he said one thing that he hates uh about child stardom that he has witnessed being a mentor to these kids and with social media especially is they are told to forget that you're kids you know be dirty make a mess be a kid he's like but social media puts so much pressure on these kids that i work with to where they forget that they can be a kid because when this started they were 11 and 12 you know, and they were under such scrutiny, like it's time to grow up. And he would just tell them, no, make a mess, spill a drink, be a kid. Don't forget that you are still a kid. Um, but yeah, man, he, uh, the one thing that got the biggest eruption was he talked about COVID and do protocols and stuff like that. And he joked a little bit. He said, you know, I hate it because I'm a spitter. He's <laughs> like, I'm a get-in-your-face, organic, actor, passionate. I like being spit on in takes. I like spitting on people. <laughs> and, you know, he was, you're doing it right. He was joking. And he was like, I did Equalizer with Denzel. And I, I have this scene with him. And I'm just getting passionate with him and just cussing up a storm. And they said, cut. And Denzel goes, and he tries to do Denzel, and he's like, okay, all right, all right, okay. That was good. Now maybe next time, do it a little drier, a little less spit. And he's like, I can't do it, man. I'm a spitter. And he's like, but now, you know, I've got masks, so I don't get to spit on anybody anymore. And he was like, I hate COVID. But if it means that I get to do artistry, if it means I get to still be an artist, I'll get vaccinated. I'll wear a mask. And he said, and the fact that everyone in this room did their civic duty and got vaccinated and are still wearing masks around here so that you can be here with us live my i i i cheers you i applaud you for doing your civic duty thank you because because of you all we're here i mean he was just he was a child man he was giddy he was we're at freaking new york comic-con we're live we're oh my god we're back and it was it was a life-changing uh, event. Um, some other things that I wanted to talk to you about, though. We walked past the booth area that RVD, uh, Jake the Snake, and Jerry the King Lawler were at. And Jim Ross. Jim wasn't there. He we was were. at some point. He was, yeah. 
Uh, and Matt Cardona was there at some point. But uh, Jake the Snake was on oxygen. I've heard. Uh, yeah. Just sitting there looking rough, man. On oxygen, trying to talk to people, sign autographs. Yeah. King looked so fake. Well, I think that Jake has a condition. Yeah. Uh, like a pre-existing thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this has been a thing for a little while that he's been doing the oxygen. Yeah, yeah he's I've got heard the short that. hair. He's, he's sit, he was just sitting, looked miserable on an oxygen I think he's tank. gained a little bit of the weight back, yeah, too. Yeah, he has. King looked fake, man. I mean, it looked like Clayface trying to be Jerry the King Lawler. Ugh. Same thing for RVD. He looked bad. RVD doesn't look good. Yeah. And it's, I, when I walked past the, ch- the table and I kind of stopped and looked at him, and Maddie goes, oh, no. I was like, uh, she said, do you want to meet him? I went, mm-mm, I'm good. Uh, I, I'm fine. I mean, I probably would have met JR. I probably would have met Matt Cardona. But out of all of those, I think JR would be yeah. my guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did have an opportunity to meet with James Mulligan. He was there. Uh, he's a Disney artist. Mm-hmm. Um, got to take a picture with him, gave him a magnet. I gave out all the stickers and magnets I had left uh, to, ever, to as many people to take them, cosplayers I took pictures with, uh, stuff like that. Um, he uh, He's a Disney artist that uh, he helped create uh, for their shows, books, their theme parks, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. really cool. You should follow him, James Mulligan. He's on Instagram, uh, Mulligan Jimmy. Um, I met with Whatnot Reps, the Backyard Breaks, um, interviewed one of them. And that's on day th- three. Uh, now, Whatnot is a live auction app. And these are their top auctioneers. And what they do is while they're live auctioneering, they have a wrestling match in the background. There's a ring. There, uh, There's pictures all over New York Comic Con of the backyard breaks. Um, uh, they, they, were, they were awesome. Um, when they saw my shirt, they, all, they said, do you have any stickers or something? You got a podcast, bro. And so I took a picture with him, gave him all stickers and magnets, and interviewed Grant. That's on day three. You can listen to that. And uh, he was really cool. Um, but uh, I downloaded Whatnot, and since you and Logan are into the pop game and stuff like that, and especially Logan with Pokemon cards, I highly recommend it. Um, it's just one word, Whatnot. Um and then I met Henry Barajas. Now, he is the creator of the comics Helm Greycastle. Uh, I bought his book one, and he autographed it for me after I bought it. Uh, asked about my shirt, and so I said, I have a podcast. <laughs> and uh, he said, I think everyone here does. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Henry, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. And I actually brought to show you uh, this is book one of Helm Greycastle, and he created it as a Lord of the Rings fan. He said, this is if Middle Earth had a south side. Uh. Yeah, that's how he worded it to me, and I was like, ooh, I like that. So it's gritty, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I haven't started reading it yet, uh, so if you are listening, Henry, I will do that this week. Um, uh, it's uh, It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, very barbaric. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of fun. Very colorful. Uh, that is book one really that has interesting the imagery. That is the first four issues in it. This guy looks like Zangief here on the cover. It does. It does. And we in three days walked over almost twenty-two miles. 
in three Sounds days. Sounds like one day at Disney World for me. Yeah. So, uh, some other things before we close out the Comic-Con. Uh, Dre got uh, some free comic books when he was uh, doing some press stuff. Dre Driven didn't. He gave me one of them. It's uh, Seven Dead Stars. It's the issue number zero. Uh, Unsecret Comics. So I'm going to check that out. And Rich uh, came through big time. He gave me some Dragon Master game stuff, some stickers, some... and. Straight out of Ghostbusters, written by Dr. Ray Stans, Dr. Egon Spangler, and Eric Burnham, Tobin's Spirit Guide. Oh, wow. That they talk about. Uh, official Ghostbusters edition. This is going to come in handy in a couple weeks. Yes, it we is. We discuss Ghostbusters on the show here. Yes, it is. And it's it's literally like oh, wow. all the stuff. Hey. That, you know, you would... Ni- lore. It's the lore. Wow. And so, Rich, thank you so much. Dre, Thanks, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, it was great meeting... All of you all, um, I got a, a den, of, den of Geek issue here that was being given out at New York Comic Con. Uh, the front of it's Dune. Dune. And safely here is my awkward photo. With Aaron? With Aaron. You can see that here. Uh-huh. Beautiful. See how awkward I look? Lovely. Yes, you do look happy. <laughs> look cheesy and but awkward. But you look happy. I'm very happy. So, that's good. Um, and the thing I got you. Okay. Straight from New York Comic Con. Drum roll. Straight from Boss Logic. Okay. Oh my God. You beautiful man, you. And you're okay too, Tyler. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow, so I'm holding in my hands here a, I guess this is an 11 by 17 poster uh, illustrated Stan Lee with like a I don't know how you describe it. Phase like, in. Uh, phase, phasing in uh, Spider-Man sort of over the, the front of him. And it's beautiful. And I love this. Thank you so much. Wow. This is beautiful. There, really. When I passed by, there were not many left. And I was like, I'm not waiting for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> i got to give this, this to is, him. Um, this will be framed today. I and think. if the Boss Logic was there, I'd have had him autograph it. But. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Wow. It was amazing. Um, if you all can, uh, go back and listen to those daily updates. Also, check out uh, the updates that were done on Twitch by Rich, Pad, and Ken. Uh, that's at twitch.tv slash 607podcasts. Uh, go check those out. Uh, they were fantastic. Uh, you can uh, um, see the excitement in Rich, too, when he talks about Ghostbusters. I mean, I have heard him get excited. I have watched him get excited on Twitch about things, but to live Rich's excitement when they said, we brought the whole movie for you, Uh that also is like a top five moment of the weekend. I was like, dude, I'm right here with the boys, with the Council of Nerds, and Reitman just said, eh, we'll give you the whole movie. (laughs) And he even said, stay for the credits. Um, It was a great weekend, man. You better be with me next year. I will make it happen. So, it's safe to say you had a good time. I did. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Absolutely. And I got this official, I, I finally, you know, were, was tired of hiding it. He came out with his Hufflepuff. I did. I got me a Hufflepuff uh, flannel pullover or button up at Comic-Con. I was like, you know what, it's, it's time to stop hiding it. I got sorted into Hufflepuff rightly. I can't fake being a Slytherin or a Gryffindor when you're a Hufflepuff. 
and so I'm I'm sporting that. And uh, next year I'll I'll get myself a Slytherin one. So yeah, we'll yeah. So everyone that I met, if you're listening, I hope you are. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. Um, even uh, if I just stopped and said, "That's an awesome Witcher outfit. Can I take a picture with you?" <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, that's the actually possibly the top Ghostbusters would just say I felt so comfortable all weekend being with people like me and I'll close out with this funny story um Maddie was unable to come into the movie so she waited downstairs uh in the Empire stage a new part of Javits um and she said, I was waiting for Tyler to come down the escalator. And I thought to myself, I'll just look for hat, nerdy shirt, beard, and shaggy hair. <laughs> and she Good luck. Said, Everybody I thought was Tyler. <laughs> I said, oh yeah, I'm in the majority at Comic-Con. She said, everyone coming down the escalators pretty much was misty-eyed. Men, hats, nerdy shirts, beards, and shaggy hair <laughs> coming down the escalator just like, uh, I can't do that now to find him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, those were my peeps. <laughs> I was with them all weekend. Uh, but it was fantastic, man. It was awesome. I'm thrilled that you had this experience, really. I, before you left, like, I, 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 one of my favorite things about going on a trip anywhere is like the anticipation getting ready to go. Mm-hmm. All right, we're leaving in the morning going over my checklist you know i'm so excited and i'm sure you were feeling a little bit of that and i actually was feeling that for you too because i know you haven't had as many comic-con experiences mm-hmm. and, and whatnot as i have and then for this to be your next experience yeah. you know it's like throwing you right out there in the in the nerd kind of going from a house show to wrestlemania exactly yeah that's a great metaphor and uh I, I was just so thrilled that that you got to do this and i'm so glad you had a had a good time i did man and i'm happy you're back it's great uh it's great to be back We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it is all Evil Dead all night. Join us! Dead by Dawn, Dead by Dawn. Uh, So, we'll be back when 30 and 30 Podcast returns. Tennessee Legend Distillery was founded in 2015 and has quickly become one of the top distilleries for natural extracts and ingredients in its spirits. With no high fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, or harmful ingredients, Tennessee Legend Distillery has four locations in the state of Tennessee. Without Newport, Sevierville, Cookville, and Nashville distilleries. You see, at Tennessee Legend Distillery, we have spent more time focused on the quality of our spirits than the number of our stores. We have a great selection of non-flavored spirits as well, like vodka, bourbon, whiskey, and gin. Tennessee Legend Distillery has multiple awards and medals for state, national, and international spirit contests, and even carries 2019's Best Tasting Whiskey in the state of Tennessee with our Salted Caramel 60 Proof Whiskey. We offer discounts for veterans, active military, nurses, police officers, firefighters, first responders, and even multiple bottle discounts. Don't live in Tennessee? We ship to select states. 
go to GACraftSpirits.com to see if we deliver to you. That's G-A-C-R-A-F-T-S-P-I-R-I-T-S dot com. If you stop by the Sevierville location, tell them 30 and Nerdy Podcast sent you and be a legend with Tennessee Legend Distillery by receiving a free shot glass and 15% off of your order. What are you waiting for? Cheers to you. What's up, nerds? This is Rich from the Three Fat Nerds Podcast, and you're listening to our Council of Nerds brethren, the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. Of course, when you're done with this awesome podcast, you can check out the Three Fat Nerd Podcast wherever you get great podcasts just by searching Three Fat Nerds. And if you want all your information about what we do over there, you can visit 8122productions.com. Now let's get back to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParlayHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info and parlay points our companion block section of the show thanks for listening to the odph now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast welcome back nerds and nerdettes it is nerdtober here at 30 nerdy podcast it's our favorite month of the year yeah um we are talking evil dead and we are going to talk a few details and we're just going to jump into our interview with david horton yeah now as you've heard us say david horton is a close friend of ours we've worked uh very closely with over for years now um i uh we've shared the stage with him we've worked with him for community theater um we've watched things he's produced we've listened to the podcast he does johnny has the keys podcast um i mean he's just we can say it over and over and it still doesn't you know convey how much respect we have for David oh Horton. yeah absolutely he is uh I, I lovingly refer to him as a veteran nerd because mm-hmm. he's one of those guys who was growing up when star wars hit the theaters and he's one of those guys who got to go to the theater and see it multiple times and, and grew up during that whole era so he's a veteran nerd he's like high council high priest nerd yeah okay um, and I really do have so much admiration, respect, mm-hmm. and fondness for this man. He is just uh, an absolute joy to be around. He's just so much fun, and he's so talented. Um, oh, just to name a few things that he's done. Um, besides working on the movie Evil Dead, uh, he has worked for Disney mm-hmm. uh, in the entertainment. Uh, he also does things like how shops can lay out to increase sales Mm -hmm. he's worked with uh the dallas cowboys he's been hired out by them to to produce some stuff marriott big convention centers he's 
traveled the world, not the country, the world Absolutely. doing what he does. Yeah. Uh, he's the best in the world at what he does. Really. And what he does is entertainment. And he's damn good on stage. He's an amazing director. And I cannot wait for you to hear about Evil Dead from here. And as we said, not just about the plot. We're talking behind the scenes, unknown things that happened, secrets of filmmaking for the movie. We had questions. He had answers. Yes. I'm very excited for our horror friends, Horror Zone 607 and uh, Rich and Diesel and all them from Three Fat Nerds. Can't wait for you to hear this one. Oh, yeah. I know you're big Evil Dead fans. And so what, I don't know that we've really spoken about it over the past couple of years on the show, hmm. but, you know, we're coming to you from Morristown, Tennessee, here in East Tennessee. We talk a lot about how Dolly Parton grew up, like, in our backyard yeah. here, basically, about an hour away. Um, but truly, and I say this in the interview, if you look, go on, like, your Apple map or Google map or whatever, and you're looking at where the fortress is, which is where we are right now, Yes. And you make a beeline, like a straight line over to the location of the cabin for filming the Evil Dead. Yeah. It's literally like four, maybe five miles yeah. from this spot. From this spot. Now, we could take the roads to get there, but Tennessee yeah. back roads, they are, you know, it's going to take longer that Morse way. Morristown drivers. So, yeah. <laughs> but the way, as the eagle flies. As the eagle flies. About four miles away. So, we are that close to, mm -hmm. you know, legendary. We are so close, we would... Dare not utter the words of the Necronomicon, because we're even, so close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would definitely not utter those words. But it's okay because we know the secret. Yes. Dismemberment is yes. the key. Dismemberment is but the key. But we know this. We know this. Uh, we had talked about going and sitting down in that spot and, mm -hmm. and doing a little filming because I haven't been out there myself, but I know a lot of people who have gone out there and gone exploring. Did some digging, found out that it is private property, mm -hmm. and they, uh, the people who own the property are not at all fond of people trying to come down there and, and nerd out over some evil dead. Yeah. So we well, most decided, of the cabin is not standing. Yeah, there's really nothing left, a piece of the chimney and mm -hmm. a few some things of the roof. in there. I don't think, did they put any kind of landmark down there? Because they should. I don't know. I I think so. They should do that. They I should believe there's something a, there. there's a a stone plaque type thing yeah. it's like this is where evil something. the filming location of evil that. dead or something like that uh, um i i did get to venture out there when i was in middle school playing soccer out at panther creek i played aso soccer and all there's four soccer fields out there and in between mm -hmm. games one day i just ventured back there and there it was yeah the freaking cabin yeah what was left of it i mean we ought to you can drive by pretty close. Yeah, to you can it, drive pretty close. And David like, even mentions in the interview, he's like, "You know, we'll go out there one day." Yeah. I think he still has the ability to call someone, be like, "Hey, wouldn't that be great?" I worked on it. I'm gonna come out there. <laughs> Let's. Well, we'll we'll try that. But in the meantime, I, I think we should at least just drive out there and yeah. kind of. I know where it is, and I know where the entrance to it is. Like, if we can just go that far, that'd be pretty cool. I would even venture to say, I'm willing to do this, you can walk away before it happens. If we get a certain amount of either YouTube subscribers or followers or something, I'll go out there and I'll utter the words from the Necronomicon. You'll do that, but you won't spit in Hayden Christensen's face <laughs> for me? I'd rather face deadites and demons than... We 
then spit then in, the comic-con police then spit in dark lord vader's face and the comic-con uh, there wasn't anything dark or lordy about that guy <laughs> so yeah uh a little little uh information before we get to the interview though all right so evil dead little uh little horror flick you might have heard of it no big deal Released in uh, October of 1981. That's right. It's the 40-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a a great time to talk about it. It has a rating of NC-17. And if you have not seen it before, uh, you don't really realize how gory, how bloody, how just... Twisted. Twisted. Yeah. uh, From the sick mind of one Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible movie. Definitely be prepared for the gore. Uh, a little bit of nudity here and there. Yeah. Uh, but it's just really, really something. It had a budget of $375,000, which in today's standards is chump change. Yeah, that's an independent film <laughs> in today's. And at the box office, at least in the United States, it got about $2.7 million. So, it's you know. Money. Pretty successful for, and 19, for the '80s. That's some money. Gone on to have quite a cult following, mm-hmm. um, and it's legendary. I mean, it's it's really a, a staple, I would say, in the in the horror genre. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it it you know, without it, you don't have Cabin in the Woods. You don't have a lot of the zombie stuff that I think we do today. Right. Uh, you wouldn't have the career of Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Um, yeah. You wouldn't have the directorial career of Sam Raimi. Yeah. So, kind of paved the way for some big names. I mean, Bruce Campbell's the man who names Spider-Man. So, I mean... That's true. Forget about that. Yeah. What were... I'll see. He was was the ring announcer in the first one. He was the the guy at the door in the second one. Yeah. Like, oh, fix your tie. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you can't go in. Yeah. And in the third one, he was a French... Mm -hmm. uh, He was a garçon. Garçon. Or something like that. Yeah. And there's been spawn-off video games. There was a reboot series called Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Uh, it takes place in modern time. There were two sequels. Uh, we learned that the second one was actually kind of a soft reboot. Yeah. And Which then Army explains of, a lot. Yeah. And then Army of Darkness followed it up. There was supposed to be a sequel to it. Never happened. And we got the reboot in 2013. And there's another one coming out next year. There's another one in the works. And also, uh, we we talk about this towards the end of the interview, a musical. Yes. Which I'm sure a lot of you didn't know that. Yes. Um, You know, if you check it out, whether you're a fan of musicals or a fan of Evil Dead or not, you're going to either love it or you're going to hate it. (laughs) Or not just hate it, you'll be appalled. Yeah. It's... Some people listen to the soundtrack and go, what in God's name? It is one of the most campy awkward things that I've ever been exposed yes. to. Yeah. But, but it, I want to do it. But it's there and you know what? This is the place to do it. The, yes. the place where the Evil Dead was born by golly. Yes. We got that right here in Morristown. Right here. In Morristown, Tennessee. That's right. Absolutely. So uh, we are going to get to the interview and uh, I can't wait for you to hear this.
So it's October, uh, you- and we are uh, we always try to go big in October with horror and uh, when horror crosses over into nerd culture and pop culture and all that. Um, As you should. Yeah, last year I got to talk to Tim about his book, uh, mm-hmm. which was great. Uh, I love the book. I need to get it to Josh so he can read it. Um, I told him, I said, I'm ready for the next one because I'm hooked already. Uh, he's next he's working on it. Uh, he's working on it, and I'm working on I'm going to do the audio for it. So I'm working on the audio book. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. It'll be it'll be fun. And, and from what I've read, just a couple of his notes for the sequel, I was like going, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 I really yeah. enjoyed it. I thought it was a good book. I it, really is. Did. it is. Uh, so we're this October. We're with you, and we're going to be talking yeah. about Evil Dead. Little movie, yeah. Evil Dead. You might have heard of it before. Little thing, I'm familiar yep. with mm-hmm. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's an old movie now. It's forty whole years old. Nineteen eighty one. Forty mm-hmm. years. Yep. Uh, when did it come out? October fifteenth, nineteen eighty one. Almost yep. the fortieth birthday. Of Evil Dead. Yeah. As far as release date. Not when it was filmed. It was actually filmed in 79. So are you all planning like a birthday party? Has Rain killed you? Right. I'm sure, yeah. Sam's just, you know, chomping at the bed going, I haven't heard from Horton lately. (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, uh, I haven't heard from any of the guys in a couple of years, actually. I mean, I used to keep up with Bruce kind of on and off with email and stuff. Um, but I haven't since he's been really busy, especially once um, Ash versus Evil Dead kicked in because he got really super busy, you know, with mm-hmm. that and doing the con appearances, a new book, all the stuff he was doing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've seen him at a few cons uh, over the years. I haven't met him yet, but I've seen him, you know, from a distance. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they, they did like a reboot franchise like 2013 they did a reboot and there's another one coming out next year and mm-hmm. do you know, is he involved in that do you know uh, all of the originals are involved in the new one the old ones sam and rob produced are the, the first remake in 13 i think uh sam and rob produced uh i forgot the guy's name who directed it was actually really good but it was a different it, it was a totally different take on it it was more yeah, into it was the, like a soft reboot well, it was, it was, yeah, it was more like soft, uh, trying to describe it. It was more like body horror meets the evil dead. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, instead of just four kids going to the cabin, you've got four kids that are going to the cabin, but one girl has just gotten clean from an addiction and she is going to withdrawal essentially. Uh, and so a lot of the things that start happening, she says, is this my mind or is this really demons and yada, yada. And I mean, it literally has gallons, geysers, buckets of um, blood yeah. if you watch it. Um, but yeah, the new one, supposedly Sam's involved, Rob's involved and Bruce is involved, but, uh, but Ash will not be in it. I think that so, he was that he had an appearance like at the end or maybe it was like a post credits thing at the end of the reboot. The 2013. The 13 or the new one? The 13. Oh, okay. I don't. I haven't seen I, it. He might have been. They might have done another S Mart sort of thing at the like end that. of it. I what? think they did. Maybe. Like, um, he walked into S Mart. Yeah, or something like that. Because uh, the girl's a survivor, and the what looks like the Ash character guy gets murdered, killed. He dies. Right. 
I mean, he's wearing yep. the blue shirt and he's a brunette and kind of chiseled. So you're like, oh, that's Ash. But his name's not Ash. Uh, no, her name is Ash because it's Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. I'm normally like, oh, got a reboot, you know, especially if something like Evil Dead, I was at first very, uh, oh, man, don't touch it. You know, like if they were to reboot yeah. Breakfast Club, I'd be like, stop, just stop. Right. Um, yeah. Well, like you know from the stuff. podcast that I'm big on no reboots. I'm not a big reboot fan at all. Yeah. However, I liked that one. I thought that yeah. Evil Dead one was good. And they've just announced Babylon 5, my second favorite television series of all time, is getting rebooted with Straczynski in control. So he's going to oh. write it. He's going to produce it. And it's on CW, which had that other little series that you guys liked. So um, uh, it, they may give him creative control and let him do what he wants, which would be good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, we'll a little, that's a little different. It's not someone new trying to reboot it. And... Yeah, and basically he said, think of Battlestar Galactica. He said, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm not going to tell the same story, but I am going to tell the same story, sort of, sort of thing. <laughs> so that's the way he's approaching it, you know. He says, I'm, I'm going to have stuff that will surprise all the people who are so dedicated to Babylon 5, but also show people who don't know anything about it this new world. Yeah. So, great. Perfect. Awesome. awesome. But yeah, the new Evil Dead, I'm excited about it. We'll see what it's like. We'll see what they do with it. Uh, hopefully they won't turn it into, you know, Saw meets The Conjuring sort of thing. So It's on my list. I'm going to have to go back and watch it after being refreshed on, on the original Evil Dead <clears throat> for this. But, uh, oh, did you rewatch it? I did just yesterday. And I started oh. the second one this morning because I had zero memory of it. And actually... I haven't seen Army of Darkness one time yet, so I'm a little. Never behind. seen Army of Darkness. Never, never. You, you you're going to have to get a nerd demerit for that. That's I'll accept good. that. To... I'll, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll accept that. That's fair. That's this fair. is my boomstick. You got to yeah. know these lines. I do know the references though. Like I know <laughs> that much about it. So maybe like a half of a demerit. Half of the marriage. Yeah. You know? yeah. Half the marriage. Um, but we are joined by David Horton of Johnny Has the Keys podcast. We're so thrilled that he's here. He is a super, super creative person, someone that we respect so, so much. Um, and fun fact, Mr. Horton here was actually involved with the original Evil Dead 1981. Uh, it was filmed right here in our hometown of Morristown, literally from where I'm at right now. If you made a, a beeline to the location where it was filmed, it's probably about four miles. Mm -hmm. You know, now that's not counting all the curvy roads and, you know, Tennessee back roads yeah. uh, that can go on for a long time, but it's about four miles that away. Yeah. Uh, just right here in our backyard. So, David, just take it away. How did you, how did you get involved initially with the project? Uh, well, it was the summer of 79, and Renaissance Pictures, which was formed by Sam and Robin Bruce, were from Michigan. They were three guys right out of college from Michigan who were wanting to do a movie. They got all the funding for it by some unique ways and decided they needed to film it, but they couldn't start filming till probably November or December. And they live in Michigan, so they thought, hey, Probably not the best to film a movie in the woods in Michigan in December. <laughs> so they started moving south, looking south, what they could find. They ended up hooking up with a local real estate guy named Gary Holt. And Gary Holt was good friends with my best friend at the time, his father, Pete Thompson. And Pete owned 
a section of land that had a cabin on it. It was abandoned. He hadn't used it in years. He had just basically gotten it to see, maybe I want to, you know, refurb it. Maybe I want to farm it. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to put a summer home there. I don't know. He just had it kind of like a real estate investment. Um, but so they showed them the property. They liked the cabin. They said, they started talking to Pete about it. And Mr. Thompson said, sure, you know, let's work out a deal as long as my son and his best friend can work on the movie with you because they've been making movies since they were 10 years old. And that's all they've loved doing. They're freshmen in college and they would love to, you know, just do anything to help. You don't even have to pay them. We weren't there for the negotiations, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but, but basically, so yeah, we came along as a real estate investment, you know, deal. <laughs> so when and I became production assistants for the movie, uh, we started... They were already, they had already been shooting for about three weeks when we joined uh, the group. And uh, the girls were still there, but they were only there for their last week. And then all the girls left, basically leaving uh, Bruce um, and um, uh, the other guy. I can't remember his name right now. It's Jericho been 40 years. Scott. Yeah, but Scott. I don't remember yeah Scott, um, who actually had a different name while he was there uh, because he was using he was uh equity and so he had to use a different name and i didn't find that out till like five years later i was going who is i know that guy that's not it was scotty was played by a different guy and it turns out that I forgot he had a different name um but so yeah so we worked with them probably for the last five weeks of filming the movie was only supposed to be shot in like four weeks but it ended up taking almost nine just with delays and stuff they had to do. And ironically, moving to Tennessee to have a safe, you know, kind of warm winter to film, it 79 turned out to be the coldest winter in Tennessee history. And w Michigan had a hot flash that whole winter. Wow. So it's funny how things Sam was always going, we, we'd be sitting there, he'd go, my mother just called me, said it's like 78 degrees there, you know, and it's like 30 here and we're having to film outside, you know, so. Well, that kind of leads me to, to the next question that I had, because I was reading online about there being a lot of tension on set because of the conditions, especially among the crew and everything. People were really getting heated at each other. People had to sleep in the cabin, had to sleep on set. Is this true? At the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for different reasons, uh, they had they had a bunch of power tools and equipment stolen from Tim, who was uh, Tim was essentially the carpenter. He was also the makeup guy. Uh, Tom, sorry, Tom, and, and he and I worked a lot together because I helped with a lot of the makeup stuff, and I had some carpentry skills, so I helped a little bit. But yeah, one night they had a rental house right up the road, about a mile away, and that's what we used for the production house. But um, they had only rented it for a month. One, one thing. Secondly, um, one night they came back to the cabin and like half of their tools were stolen because they'd left them there. But evidently somebody had wandered on and everything else. So they, somebody always had to stay sleeping there when we weren't um, during the day, stay during the day or because we were mostly on a night shoot. Um, so somebody had to stay there or sleep there and everything else. And by the end, Bruce, it was basically a skeleton crew. So it was Wynn, me, Bruce, Sam, and Rob. 
and Tim, who was the um, uh, cinematographer. And yeah, there were several nights we slept at the cabin. Uh, there's no running water. There was no functional toilet. Um, so it was it was a it was a survival shoot. It was definitely a survival shoot near the end. So this is why it people was, were at each other's throats because of just and and I've seen that online too before. But in my experience, there was no. I think a lot of the tension was when the girls were there, uh, naturally, because, you know, you had these ladies and there's no toilet. It's freezing cold. Uh, there's no running water. Um, and you're wearing sclerotic contacts that you can only keep in for 15 minutes and they hurt like glass in your eyes. Um, and it was just really grueling conditions. And they were staying two weeks beyond what they were being paid because they weren't through shooting yet. So much so that we shot a lot of scenes with my girlfriend playing Linda, the uh, his uh, sister, or his, his girlfriend. His girlfriend, yeah. yeah. Now you're listed in the credits as, as one of the fake shimps, which is like a yeah. stand-in for another actor, right? Well, basically that's what, that's what anything Sam referred to as a production assistant. You notice that you don't see any production assistants on the credits even though most movies had them. So and so he in for a role. Yeah. So he made fake shit because Sam loves the three students always has a big deal. Um, at one point, one night we, uh, we swapped movies, you know, when and I were telling them, you know, well, we've got a bunch of movies we've been doing since we were 10, da, da, da. Sam goes, well, I brought a bunch of reels down too. So we got to see the original finance movie, which was called within the woods. Um, which was really interesting. It was only half hour long, but it was essentially the same story. Yeah. Kids go to the woods, read a book, demons come, take over one of them, he tries to kill everybody else. However, in Within the Woods, Ash is the, the villain. He he's the Ellen character, essentially. He becomes possessed, and it's a girl who's the survivor. So they switched that up for the script. But So we got to see that, Clockwork, which was one of Sam's, kind of a takeoff on Hitchcock sort of suspense thriller short and a couple other movies. And then we showed him a bunch of our um, movies that, that we had done as well. Um, so it was, it, it, it was fun. You could share stuff, but I never got a lot of the heated stuff. I never saw a lot of, of that. There were, there was tension that first week that we started just because Ellen was still there. Uh, the girl that put Linda was still there. Both of them were really impatient. You know, let's get it done and get it shot and get, let me go home kind of thing because it was right before uh, at that point I think it was just after Thanksgiving and they had had to stay through Thanksgiving they were supposed to be home by Thanksgiving so and then we shot all of January and shot all the filler shots all the effect shots a lot of the uh, all the stuff where Scotty dies and then Scotty comes back um, and uh, yeah yeah and so we as fake simps we were everything else we were stand-ins, we were tree limbs, we were fog, we were lighting, we were shadows. Um, in the last shot, we're the doors. We're pulling the doors open. Uh -huh. You know, the demons busting through. At the that. end there with the doors opening, like you're talking about, was that the one where they, they mounted the camera on a bicycle? No, he actually, um, the only time he ever put it on a bicycle was the tracking shots with Ellen when she's running in the woods. Okay. Um, the one, the last shot that has gotten confused with people saying, blah, 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 it was Sam on a bicycle in the woods. 
if you look at the terrain, no, there's no way that was a bicycle because there's no way he could do that. But he could do his, what Sam called his shaky cam, which was he had a two by six. He mounted the Aeroflex on it, the camera, and he held it by two hands like this and went running in the, through the woods and would go over stuff and around stuff and swerve and all that. And then he was screaming out for us to, you know, pull open the doors, knock over walls, everything else as we got to it. And ironically, that literally was the very last shot they shot in Tennessee, was that shot running right up to Bruce's eye. And one time he actually did hit Bruce with the camera. Ooh. He collided with his face, you know, so because he's literally holding a camera, a 16 yeah. millimeter camera and running like well, that. Now there's, they've created mechanisms to do that kind of stuff. You don't get, oh, yeah. you don't get a lot of directors like, you know, that are, well, I can build this and mount this and I'll just run myself. I'll just do it myself. A lot of directors mm -hmm. are like, can we get the winch mechanism part two thing and, and combine it with the octo winch number three and then we'll get the shot but you don't get a lot of practical stuff anymore like that and right and let the it. second unit let the second unit director do it you know yeah. you don't even have to be there for that shot sort of thing but yeah like you know little stuff that you we appreciate now because we live through it but also because we know the history of how they film stuff but like, you know, just little shot, like really close to the ground and going, 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 and then going over the grave and up over the stump and all the way down to the shovel. That was me on one end, went on the other end, Sam kind of trying to look through the viewfinder while we're pushing it, but we're having to walk over the grave and come back and balance it and everything else. And no steady cam, no gyro, no attached to yourself so you can jump up and down and run around. So... It was really, but it shows that movie, I think will always be remembered just for Sam's photography, just the way he shot stuff. Um, yeah. The scotch angles, the, the way he would do those intense close-ups of like Bruce's eyes or, you know, Shelly's eyes or whatever, um, the, the audio work. And it, it's just a, it's, I've always said, it's the JC's haunted house of horror movies. You know, you you know how the effects look fake. They look kind of cheap. Oh, I can see the seams on the makeup, but it still scares you in places. Yeah. You know, they can jump out. It bothers yeah. you. Yeah. Still, aside yeah. from, and I would say the moment in that movie that really changed the game for horror was the tree scene. Because uh -huh. that had, mm -hmm. we had, you know, I, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of movies leading up to. 1981 um except for when i had you know dr clifton for intro to film um but i would imagine that kind of opened some eyes and changed the game of how uncomfortable horror can become because the most uncomfortable i'd seen after evil dead that made me uncomfortable was hellraiser <laughs> and that's mainly because of all the torture stuff and hell yeah you know? oh. so well, yeah, Bill, it's another what, dimension. What was the backlash or the after effect of people seeing the tree scene? Did anybody come after Sam? Not as well, sort of. You know that Evil Dead was one of the video nasties. It ended up being banned uh, in a lot of Europe. Sam actually had to go to England to defend it because it was one of the 12 that was like, 
band in England and they were going to sue the producers and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it was grouped with terrible, terrible movies like the toolbox murderer and driller killer and all of these, like before torture porn, you know, was out and everything sort of like that. It was, um, uh, I don't know, but, but Sam, even now, uh, Sam now says that he regrets it. He thinks it went a little too far. Um, there is the one shot with the tree that all, everybody goes, Whoa, Oh no. Yeah, you know, we kind of get the implication with the vines curling around her and the legs spreading. We got yeah. that, so you didn't have to do that one shot with the limb. Uh, but uh, but you know, before then, think of sixties and seventies drive-in movies and all the exploitation movies. Some of those were pretty graphic. I mean, look back at like I Spit on Your Grave, which is early seventies. Yeah, look at uh, you know those weren't. Well, I guess they were horror movies to an extent, but they were mostly considered, you know, vengeance flicks or whatever. Well, vengeance, yeah. But, but you know, um, The Exorcist, I mean, that was before Evil Dead, and that made people uncomfortable. I was actually um, wondering if, if Exorcist was an inspiration at all, because, like, which, which, was, uh, which girl was the one that they had trapped in the cellar, and she was poking her head up all the time? Ellen. Which one was that? That one? Ellen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, she played Ellen Sandwich was the the actress. It was uh, she, uh Shelley? Cheryl Shelley. Cheryl. Cheryl. Yeah. Ash's sister, right? Correct. Yeah, she owns, I think, one of the more eerie before the tree scene when she's counting out the cards and it's all mm -hmm. silent and she knows what's being laid down. Still to this day, man. I mean, every time that scene plays, I'm like, huh. It's uneasy because I'm like, she's possessed and she's predicting everything that mm -hmm. Ellen's laying down. And it's, it's, oh gosh. And it's yeah, still that scene, one of the more eerie moments. That scene, any scene that she's taunting from the cellar with those white eyes and she's banging yeah. on it, she's going, come on, Ash, let me out, let me out. You know, well, and, that, that. and the fact that one of the characters is named Linda, I thought, oh, like Linda Blair, maybe there's a connection. Like, was that intentional? But, Probably not. I don't. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, Sam was basically. Basically, they were doing a horror movie because everybody said horror movies make money, and they needed something to get their name out there, to get out there, to get distributed. And even though they made it, you know, it didn't come out till '82 because it took them that long to find a distributor. Because they took it around everywhere, and every distributor said, "Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, we no." So finally, they met Shapiro in New York, and he said, I don't want to distribute it, but, you know, take it to con. Take it to the film fest. Why not? I mean, show it at one of those midnight off-cinema places and see what happens. And it ended up being seen by Stephen King. And so he said, hey, this is the new face of horror. And when he wrote that as a review of that movie, when they got back from France after showing it, they had like distributors knocking down the door to the moon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. And naturally, I didn't that that was in that was in the poster too, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Put I didn't that on the poster board. That that uh, it had a rating of NC seventeen. I just thought it was rated R, and I noticed that. Oh, no. I guess yesterday when I was watching it. And when it originally, I think the first two years it was released, again, why it became a video nasty is it was unrated. They distributed it unrated. 
is unrated. Mostly just because of the violence in it. It's uh, it's gory. Yeah. yeah. But again, the gore in it, I mean, looks like the blood looks like K Rosera. It looks like milk. It yeah. looks like milk duds melted. I mean, it's, it's, that, I mean, it's, how it's, did you do the blood? Oh, it's K Rosera, baby. Lots of K Rosera. Yeah. That's why watch it again. And you can even just turn the sound off and just let it go. But Josh, really watch it again just for uh, Bruce in like the last 20 minutes and watch how the blood changes on his face. Because we filmed those shots like weeks and weeks apart. And you'll see literally him covered in blood. And then the very next shot, suddenly all of his eyes are clear. Like he's wearing mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it was sticky. And he would have to wash it off. And there's no wa- running water. So he's getting in a bucket to try to... I can't see, guys. Would you give yeah. me a second? You're talking about like when and, the pipe bursts and it all just... Right. Goes on him? Yeah. And, and then in the next shot, he's got like three streaks on his face you know and then the next shot suddenly he's got a smudge here but none on this side and it just no continuity whatsoever but it was sticky i mean there was one point where bruce literally took his shirt off and it stood up he could just set it down because it was so caked in cairo syrup and it was 20 degrees so it was frozen sugar solid wow (laughs) good thing there weren't bees good thing this wasn't yeah we'd done in the summer we would have all been it would have been the swarm (laughs) yeah that that whole sequence is pretty unsettling like when the blood is oozing out of the the power outlets and dripping Mm -hmm. the light bulb how did you do that how'd you pull that off with the the filling up the light bulb with the blood all of those were shot in um uh in uh michigan after so none of that none of the basement stuff was shot in tennessee all of that was shot when they got back to Michigan. Okay. Um, but talking with Tim about it, um, the uh, was one of the guys, I can't remember, one of their investors, you know, because basically they got the money by going around to doctors and lawyers and everybody in their town saying, hey, we need money, showing them the movie and getting the investors. Well, one of them actually said, hey, for the amount of money I'm giving this movie, it better, the, the screen better drip blood. And that's why they did the shot where it runs down over the projector. That's and one of the best parts. Yeah. I love it. I love that shot. Me too. Uh, and then, yeah, for the light bulb, it was actually, they actually put a small hole to drill into it and put a small tube that led into the light bulb so that it would drip and fill up and then lit it with another light behind. So it looked like that was the actual light. Oh, but, okay. nice. yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. We talk all the time about how much we prefer those practical effects compared to the, you know, the CG stuff. Like we just recently did a whole month of, of the Hobbit and Mm. we compare and, and, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. But when you compare the Hobbit films to the Lord of the Rings, where they use so much more practical effects, it just is so much more, I don't know, magical. There's just something about it. That's, that's better. And, and our, yeah, always. So yeah, I'm all about it. That's and, and and I think especially now, uh, you know, love the Marvel movies, but they're a good example. They they're so used to it now and doing the fantastical and doing what matters that I think I'm starting to see it affect actors performances. I'm seeing it affect pacing and directors use of stuff because it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. And 
physics don't often work at times and timing seems weird and it's just like uh you guys are relying on it too much now get get back to the practical i always feel for those actors in 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 especially like in the marvel movies because so many times they're there by themselves you know they're looking at a big Mm -hmm. ball or you know Mm -hmm. it can't be as as it's like ewan mcgregor said working on the prequels it was just he was just in a big blue screen room yeah like there were yes that's what the marvel stuff is too all the time he's acting with it and he said with this show that they're doing for disney plus is actually more practical good than the prequel films were. He's like, I'm mm-hmm. actually working with people in suits as opposed to talking to a blue wall. I was just going to say, I think when the technology works for the performance, it's better. Like, look at that incredible soundstage for Mandalorian and the fact that Favreau and them said, we want something that'll make our actors not feel like they're in a CG blue screen, but actually feel like they're there in the desert or at the ship or whatever, and they can do it and change it and use it around them. Um, and the actors have said it made a difference in the performance. Absolutely. Because they weren't just seeing a blue thing with a sketch that they were showing that this is what it's going to look like in post <laughs> uh, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I was going to uh, say, you know, uh, speaking of The Hobbit, you know, I was kind of watching some behind the scenes stuff and poor uh, Sir Ian McKellen, he was on the verge of, of quitting like two or three days into the shoot of The Hobbit because he was literally sitting in a green room at a table trying to, you know, talk to these dwarves in a hobbit that weren't actually there. And he was just messing up and he was getting so frustrated and he almost quit. You know, and this is a person who's classically trained years and years and years veteran. And here he's sitting in a green room, not knowing what he's looking at or who he's talking to. So I just couldn't imagine. Well- all of us are performers. All of us are actors who have done shows before. And you know what it's like. There's a big difference between prepping yourself for a monologue and prepping yourself for a scene, a dialogue scene, even if it's one-on-one, let alone seven other people in the room. And you're having to time your responses off of that, off somebody who's in the corner going, and then Bilbo said, you go over there. And, and you, you, I'm supposed to do my best performance with the script girl? Mm-hmm. you know it's totally different and it's hard to prepare for that mm-hmm. um and do that and practical effects add so much to the reaction of the performance and when you don't have them you, you uh, i commend the actors who do it you know because it's got to be difficult it's got to be a challenge um but i do think it's starting to show it's starting to show in performances it's starting to show in overall pacing and writing um and we're starting to see a lot of reliance on the effects are more important than the performance and it should never be that way. Yeah. Um, uh, just for me, just because I was curious, opening a uh, few shots of the movie when they're in the car mm-hmm. and they're going over the bridge and all that stuff, mm-hmm. all that stuff filmed here in Morristown as well. Yep. yep. Where are those roads? What part of town is that? Uh, well, the up road and on the left is over near where, uh, near Panther Creek. Mm-hmm. It's uh, actually, and it's filmed from the ravine where the cabin was. So you could film up and shoot up and show that side. I could actually take you there. We'll, we'll go there someday. Show. Um, but the bridge was in Greenville, I think. Um, the um, other shot where the, 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 tr- the opening, the truck, and then Sam and Rob are, 
that was filmed the same day as the bridge. And that was, I think near Greenville or near Rogersville, one or the other. Can't remember where, but that was all like the first week they were there. They wanted to do all the exteriors and get those out of the way so that they could do um, the interiors and keep it more closed in. And then, so all the bridge, all the arrival, all of that, they literally shot the first week they were there. And we weren't on, we weren't on set for that. We came like three weeks later. We had talked about going and got going to the spot where the cabin is and setting up our stuff and doing a little recording on the spot because that would be so cool. But then I did some digging and I found out that it's private property and apparently people down there, they're very, you know, they, they don't like people trespassing down there. So we're not going nope. to, not going to mess with that. But I know that people do wander down there sometimes. To, um, to the yeah. Cabin. Basically the only thing left is a little bit of the, the chimney is still left. Right. Uh, part of the roof is still left, but that's basically it. Um, because evidently squatters and everything else, it was burned down, you know, a few years after, uh, after the movie. I mean, my, my college friends and I had a party there the, in like 81 or 82, before the movie came out. Um, because Wynn's father still owned it. So we used it. Um, we didn't really party in the cabin. We partied around it and everything else. And we were trying to tell people, we filmed a horror movie here. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, David. No, we did, man. It's coming out soon. We know. We filmed a movie here. David, but, you party? Uh, I did I, I did a long time ago. 38, 39 years ago. <laughs> that one time. <laughs> just that one. That one time. Just that, that one time. I haven't partied since. <laughs> Cautionary tale, kids. Mm -hmm. wow. wow, wow, wow. How does it feel to be a part of something with such a legacy and such a cult following? As someone who is, I, I, I refer to you as a veteran nerd. I'm not saying that you're old. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was nerd when it was only lowercase letters. <laughs> that was me. Um, I mean, uh, well, thank you. Respectfully, you are a veteran nerd, and and I am someone who really my favorite characters in anything are the wise, like veteran. I've been there, I've done that. The Gandalfs, the Dumbledores, the you know whoever. Those are the characters I love the most. So, like, I have such respect for you because you've been through, you know, the Star Wars. You were a part of that whole thing. You grew up doing all that stuff. So I just have so oh, much. Yeah respect for you and and we the three of us we all love stuff like that and you're actually mm -hmm. a part of something with the following like that so how does that how does that feel do you even think about that uh it's it's been interesting because it, it you know it comes and goes at times when i suddenly see that and somebody will, especially like the anniversary now or about you know 10 or so years ago when it was in the other anniversary and people were talking about it and and you go wow i i, I did do that at the time we didn't you know, I think it, 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 people say that all the time. I didn't realize the import it had at the time. I mean, there are times, sometimes when you're working on a project and you go, wow, this is going to be good, I think. I think this is going to be really good. You know, but that wasn't one of those. I mean, we didn't, we saw dailies and we saw rushes. I mean, we had to, we had to drive into Knoxville to pick up the rushes and bring them back to watch that night before we would shoot again and stuff. But And they were okay, but they were on 16 millimeter. I mean, it was, it was, you know, rough quality and nothing was color corrected. Nothing was, it was like, eh, good scare. Yeah. Sam, did you get what you wanted? Okay, great. Whatever. I mean, you um, guys were basically just trying to get through it, right? Yeah. 
and it was survival, you know, survival photography at that time. You know, we he just had to get everything he could get before they literally ran out of all their money and had to go back to Michigan. And but you know, I think Sam and Rob and Bruce, all three, loved the movie. They put a lot of effort into it, and it showed. And you know, we you know we know from production that the more those people involved that are invested in it, the better it'll be. Uh, and when it came out, it had a huge response and people loved it and it stayed that way. Um, I, and so, yeah, I take pride in the fact, you know, I, I'll, I watched it because, you know, I watched it just two weeks ago and I was sitting there going, you know, when a shot would come up, I go, yeah, yeah, that tree, that's me. That's me right there. Yeah. Right. You know, you see where the see where the car is shaking with Bruce and Ellen? Yeah, that's me shaking the hood right there, baby. Uh, Leo DiCaprio in that uh, what was it Hollywood? Uh, the Tarantino film he did with Margot Robbie. Yeah. You know when uh, his little moment pops up and he's like, Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I remember anytime oh, yeah. I show it to um, back when we were doing uh, something wicked this way comes. Yeah. Uh, we would that entire month leading up to it i would invite a lot of the cast over and we'd do horror movies every mm -hmm. sunday i mean starting in september we were doing horror <laughs> movies and i showed them the original evil dead and i told them i said now watch the credits closely and because i didn't tell them i didn't preface with oh and david horton worked on this um <laughs> i said watch the credits closely and when your name pops up they all went what <laughs> i was like yeah yeah the David Horton, the one that you've seen running around trying to, you know, make the show look good and sound good. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, that's him, the same guy. And they're just like, oh, my God. And I was like, this was 1979. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, it was probably like, I don't think that. And, and this is probably a testament to the time and like, you know, the, the backdoor deal that you did just to, to get involved with the show, you know, being friends with uh, the owner of the property and all that, it probably wouldn't happen as easily like in Morristown in 2021 for me and Josh. It'd be so much harder because back then it was, it, I feel like even in music, film, Broadway, it just seemed like it was just, it just happened easier for a lot of people. Well, I think, I don't know. I'm always been wanting to, you know, uh, fate or or divine intervention or whatever you call it you know it was just the right place at the right time sort of thing which i think happens to people and i think especially if it's a passion sort of thing you know sam basically the first week or so i could tell the feeling was like ah, and i gotta give these kids something to do even though sam was my age i mean we were the exact same age and he, you know, he was going, ah, I got to use them because, you know, dad owns the place. Blah, blah, blah. But like one night we were in the, we were in the second woodshed, the side woodshed where uh, Ash takes his girlfriend to chop her up a dozen. And we were prepping for a shot. And, and for some reason, uh, for a while there, it was just Sam and I. And he was like doing his little doodles and going through his, his, because when he did his storyboards, they were like little stick figures. And only Sam could translate whatever that was, that shot was that he wanted. Um, but we just started talking, you know, and I said, you know, yeah, Wynn and I have been shooting movies since I was 10. I got my dad's brownie wind-up camera. And he goes, 
one in the tan case and i went yeah with the flip up thing you that's what i started with and i said i know and it was great right but then you would get on a really cool shot and it would run out and he goes yeah and you'd have to crank it again i go yeah so we were nerding out like big time over just the equipment and then started talking that's how i mean we both just got on this mutual respect of you know we were both young kids who love making movies and I think the opportunities nowadays are even better for that because you have these things and everything else. And you can say, hey, I've got this passion. Do you? And I think people are connecting a lot more. Look at cosplayers who always were solo people forever. And now they're suddenly, or we can do photo shoots together. And I, on TikTok, I can do half of it and you do half or whatever, you know, whatever they call it. Get your thing, whatever. Yeah. But... You know, I think the passion is there if you're what passion, you know, if, you, if you're passionate and love it, then I, I, I think it, it happens. It, it ends up happening. So. Well, if your buddy Sam Remy wants to come back to Morristown to do something, else, <laughs> tell him, you know, you got a you got a couple of young guys who are willing to help you can out. use the house for the price yes. on the house. We'll be there. We'll, 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 we'll use Josh's house. We'll call Harrison to get him over. He yeah. can do a couple of cameos. We'll all be set. Well, Harrison will remember the time I asked him to sign a Han Solo toy and, and he'll say, no, I don't want to be around that, that kid. Okay. So <laughs> we've talked about this story a few times on the show and it was mm. the 75th gala when yeah. Josh first got to meet him. And <laughs> he came up to Harrison, no, sir. No, you not, say that up, every time. Not, Harrison he came talked, to me when he, he asked him. Me. Harrison was already two bottles of red wine in, you know. So well, seeing Han Solo when being three sheets to the wind probably wasn't the best time for him. He was probably thinking more like maybe he has Air Force One DVD I can sign. No, I, I, I imagine he approached me and he's probably thinking this is the one kid here who's not a nerd and who's not going to bug me about Star Wars. And he held his hand out and he shook my hand and he said he enjoyed our performance. And I was like, oh, my God, Mr. Ford, I'm such a big fan. Oh, and I just happened to have my Han Solo in Stormtrooper disguise action figure and a Sharpie with me. And I you asked, just happened. You carry those around with you often. I yeah. did that day because yeah. I had a big okay. juicy tip that he was going to be there, and uh, okay. that was what Walmart had. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I got. And uh, and then he saw it, and it was like his face just completely just. He was like, "Yeah, sure." And then he signed it, handed it to me, and he turned around and he walked away. Ever since that day, though, he's been like, "Ah, Harrison's a grump." Yeah. Like, ah, well, I'm yeah, not the yeah, only yeah. person who has. <laughs> told stories like that let's be real um so you, you talked about uh if you have even if and i think it was you i even use it in directing it when i'm telling the cast you know come to set even if you paint one cloud on the set it's mm -hmm. going to give you more of a and i learned Ownership. that from you during high school musical one mm -hmm. um you were helping with tech and set and stuff like that and you said to me you said, even if you just paint one gray stripe on that backdrop right there, you'll have more ownership over the show than someone who didn't. Mm -hmm. And I, and that stuck with me. And so now anytime I directed a show, I would tell the cast when it was coming set time, even if you paint a streak or a cloud on a piece of set, even if you screw one screw into a two by four, 
You have mm-hmm. more ownership over the show than someone who didn't show up for set. It gives you an, uh, this is my baby. I screwed that screw in. This person wouldn't be able to stand on the platform without my screw. <laughs> I, right. made it, I made it squeal and I stripped the first one, but <laughs> I did that. And well, that got to follow you more than just being involved. But like, yeah, the car shaking, that was me. I mean, that's got to well, be. That's why I love, I love community theater more than any other version, even professional theater, because I think there's so much more investment in community theater and it's everybody doing a little bit of everything. And we, there's a huge, not that in professional theater, there's not a respect for other professions or roles or duties, but I just think it's much, a little bit more so in community theater because everybody does have to pitch in. Everybody does have to help. Um, and yeah, you take pride in, in being more invested in the overall process rather than, Oh, I can't touch that. Yeah. Let the gaffer handle that. He'll take care of it later. Are, oh, don't go in there. That's the wardrobe room. And, you know, you're not allowed in there or whatever, you know? So I think, um, yeah, I watch the movie and I'll see the, you know, the, 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 the one scene where we first, you know, she is doing her card read and all of a sudden it cuts outside and you just see all the leaves. And then all of a sudden the leaves start glowing and then they actually move and open up and there's smoke coming out and everything else. It's like the, the demon being born kind of yeah. feel to it. Yeah. Dig a hole, two by four, bunch of leaves on, light inside it, smoke it up, put some leaves on it, push on this end of the two by four, it rises up. And it was all <laughs> I was a, I was the two by four guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Well, and I kind of learned that the hard way, the opposite of it, because when I was doing quote unquote, and I always say that when I talk about Pigeon Forge, quote unquote professional theater, mm-hmm. uh, murder mystery. Um, yeah, there was less of an ownership. Like I would literally roll in at my call time, get dressed, do the show, go home. I didn't get to paint a backdrop. I didn't get to build a piece. I didn't get to put the playlist together, anything. And I, and I, I realized probably my first year in, I was like, I have really no ownership over this show. Like I'm just a guy. Yeah. you didn't originate the role. I didn't originate didn't, the. I yeah. wasn't the original role. I just came in because uh, Aaron Medlin, who's now on a Netflix show, and he was in uh, Mean Girls on Broadway and Prom, and now he's on that Sweet Magnolias Netflix because he was leaving, and mm-hmm. I happened to be seen playing the Cowardly Lion at, by the director. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't have an ownership. And when people ask about it, I'm like, I didn't love it as much as I've even loved my smallest role in community theater because I was Mm -hmm. just a cog and not a cog that has ownership just like a cog that can be replaced at any time yeah and it happened and it happens they week in and week out in Pigeon Forge and Vegas and you know Myrtle Beach and stuff like that yeah so I mean yeah because it's got to be cool it really does um it's probably my most jealous thing about you working on it is not like when your name scrolls on the credit but just knowing it's out there and knowing the success it's had and you're just like i did it i did it you know i got yeah the the stars align and i'm part of the machine that made a legendary horror movie 
even mm-hmm. though at the time you say it did feel like it was going to be a legendary horror movie. Oh, no. no. <laughs> but I mean, to that credit, though, look at all of us. I mean, all of us can say, hey, where are you from? Morristown, Tennessee. Hey, is that where they filmed Evil Dead? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so there is that. Yeah, I mean, I've had some, you know, charmed existence stuff. You know, I had that. I worked with Dale Dickey when I went to UT, and now she's doing movies and television, yada, yada. She was you in know? the Marvel Universe. Yeah, we did. We did the improv, and uh, uh, we did the improv. And one of the kids I worked with was Mike Abbott, who's now gone on, and he's in like the greatest horror movie of last year or whatever. Um, so, I, I mean, Morristown and East Tennessee have you know contributed some some good things. It's so true. we like that. It's true. It's really yeah. true. I mean, Evil Dead, Mike Abbott, Megan Fox. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Dolly Parton. <laughs> Dolly Parton. Okay, let's go there. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you this because we were talking before you came on to the Zoom here about how the sequel sort of is like a the, reboot. Yeah, like it's the same exact story. Like, did Ash forget that he had already been through this before? Like, what was the deal there? Do you know why that decision was made? Well, at that time, Sam just was happy to get the money to do a sequel. But the producer, and this is a story I heard secondhand, like, you know, through through Bruce a couple of times. But, but uh, they were just really happy to be able to do a sequel. But part of the producer's, thing was don't do it as gross as the first one was his term and don't do it uh, as cheaply uh, but he really wanted a reboot he wanted a redo of the entire movie so they essentially did that but added the cosmic elements and added the comedy which is kind of a, uh, a Sam thing too he likes the the pseudo comedy. That's why I don't really like the second one as much yeah, as yeah. the first one. Same. Um, but it does give us chainsaw hand ash. It, yes. Which leads to Army of Darkness. And Army of Darkness, you know, is I think a divided thing in fandom. There are those who really, really like it above the other two, and there are other people who, no, no, no. Who, and, and I'm kind of half and half. I like the horror elements he put back into Army of Darkness. Mm hmm. But he also kept a lot of the slapstick and the silly and the crazy. And, you know, Bruce does that well. It's no knocking his ability. It's just, uh, you know, Tyler, you and I have talked before. I, 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 uh, uh, I'm not a huge Guardian of the Galaxy fan because I sometimes don't like a lot of comedy with my science fiction unless it says it's a comedy. Like Galaxy Quest, love it, yeah. adore it, great. Guardians of the Galaxy, eh, not so much. Uh, So I don't like my mixed metaphors or mixed genres a lot. Uh, So if it's a horror movie, be horror. Come on, be scary. Go for it. You don't have to be funny in the middle of it sort of thing. But yeah, so that led to, they they basically just said, oh, we're going to do a soft reboot, essentially. And then we'll do Army of Darkness after that. And then there was talk for decades of doing a sequel to Army. Yeah. Um, and nothing really ever came of it until they did the other reboot in 13. Well, I knew um, as a kid in the 90s, after I first saw it my at my grandparents' house, the first one, 
there were talks then like, yeah, there's supposed to be an Army of Darkness sequel. And right. I was in elementary school just like, oh, cool. That'll be my generation's Evil Dead, you know, <laughs> and it never happened. And then 2013 rolled around and I was, like I said, initially like, oh, no, the original do a sequel, you know, um, but it wound up being good. Um, I get when, my other question is, is Army of Darkness the first time Deadite is used? Yeah. I, fit, I thought because so. Because I, I think Sam, you know, Sam never said he was a writer. He's always said, I'm a director. I'm a visual, a very visual director. I'm not really a writer. And I don't think they really knew where they wanted to go with a mythos mm. of what these the dead. demons are. Right. And the whole Kandarian thing. And maybe he wanted to go back and, re you know, coming from a writer director perspective, I would think, well, wow, go back to the original book then. Yeah. When it was written and created instead of just go to another dimension and play medieval demon yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of thing. But they didn't. You know, they they took the, they chose the, the, the way they wanted to, which was, uh, you know, that was OK, I guess, for what they wanted to do. Um, uh, again, we had video games like Fistful of Boomstick, um, yeah, and then the sequel to that, and it was all Deadites. There wasn't a whole lot of Kandarian mention, it was just Deadite. You know, someone read the scripture, and the Deadites have come back to right. our, our plane, and now it's time to fight them off again. Uh, well, and I didn't watch a lot of Ash versus Evil Dead. I just watched like three episodes, but it seemed to be the same thing, only set modern. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a, you know, it's their version of Supernatural. Uh, okay. My last question. On Johnny Has the Keys, you guys are notorious for giving the keys. Those little, yeah. little details. Do you have any fun keys about Evil Dead that we haven't already talked about? Even just one good one. Uh, a key the biggest key probably is the fact that sam did love uh the three stooges and mm -hmm. love that whole thing and that's influenced all of his work spider-man um uh everything since then because he's had the leeway to do that um i think a key that's come from that could be and this is a supposed key because the other thing that you may not know about sam is Every movie he ever does, he wears a suit and tie. Uh, every day of shooting, he wears a suit and tie, a jacket and a tie. Every day of shooting. If you go back and find production stills of any movie, Spider-Man, Darkman, anything that Sam Raimi has ever directed, he is in a jacket and a tie. And I think a lot of that comes from, or possibly could come from, wearing the same flannel shirt for three weeks shooting in east tennessee in 20 degree weather covered in cairo syrup and everything else that could be a key um, <laughs> to it Interesting. um i don't know a lot of the I, I mean i can go back when we did evil dead i think on johnny we talked about a lot of the typical references you know these deadites are very zombie-like but they do stuff that we don't expect they talk they they um but I still get I still get cringe when Linda starts doing the we're gonna get you because I don't like little kids in horror movies anyway. Kids, demon kids, <clears throat> creep me out. <laughs> don't like it. Um, but so so they set some precedents and keys I think that yep. that have been since tried to be mimicked and stuff. Conjuring, 
um, insidious. Yeah. Uh, some of that comes from the, the whole feel of Evil Dead. Cabin in the Woods. Oh, okay, go yeah. back on my statement before. That's Joss Whedon. So he's totally different. He can do whatever he wants. And Cabin in the Woods it has good humor along with very, very scary stuff. And that's definitely influenced by Evil Dead. I mean, it's even down to the thumping of the the uh, glider yeah. on the when they first arrived. That's exactly from Evil Dead. And that's yeah. in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, when I first watched Cabin in the Woods, I, I, my first, I looked over at my older brother and I was like, this seems really familiar. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of elements in this that I don't think he created. <laughs> I yep. think he, he watched Evil Dead one day and was like, I'll, I can do that. I can change a few things and nobody will mm-hmm. say anything. And the big be- room with the fireplace in the front, the three yeah. bedrooms on the side wall. I mean, it's all young adults, young adults cussing and, you know, getting themselves into trouble with interdimensional beings. You know, yeah. like, this is this is dangerously close, to, you know, to uh, fraternizing with evil dead. And but, you know, what um, what is it they say in uh, wrestling? I know David hates it, but. Uh, uh, imitation <laughs> is the sincerest form sincerest of, form of flattery. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely an imitation. Very, very close. Uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, it's, you know, I watched it. Hey, I thought of you guys a couple of weeks ago because for some reason I was just doing the scrolly thing on the, the line and came across plane ride from hell. Or whatever, and uh-huh. it was this documentary, and I started watching it and realized, but it was like an it was like the dark side of wrestling, and yeah. it was dark side of the ring, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. watched the whole thing and thought, I bet Josh and Tyler just love oh, this stuff. Yeah. yeah, that that episode, the plane ride from hell, ruined a lot of people. Yeah, behind the scenes, there were a lot of people who still exist in this day, who don't know that these people are actually pieces of crap. <laughs> Some of them are really pieces of trash in real life. You know, I mean, and my older brother told me today when he picked me up from the airport, we were talking about that. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, if you didn't know Ric Flair was a jerk in real life, <laughs> you were in a denial bigger than the river. I mean, he's like, you knew he was a, a terrible human being. I was like, there's a lot of people who didn't know this stuff. And he, after that episode came out, he got raked over the coals. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. There was a lot of unknown things that came out in that episode. And uh, his life is a little changed, a little changed now. Well, that was just, that was just one of those serendipitous things. I was yeah. just literally just scrolling and came across it and thought, plane ride from hell what's that i don't know wrestling let's watch it uh but it was very interesting to me i was going okay no why did none why did any of this surprise anybody yeah Yeah, these guys you give these guys a chartered aircraft and keep them on the tarmac for 11 hours with an open bar good luck yeah (laughs) yeah and that's that's season three so i mean there's several Really, really, really interesting uh, jaw-dropping, episode. eye-opening yeah. episodes. I mean, there's all kinds of really 
twisted stories that you just couldn't imagine. Yeah. So Dark Side of the Ring is a documentary series about literally the underbelly of wrestling, right? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Okay. Stuff that they never market or never want anybody (laughs) to know. Or want anybody to know. Okay. Well, great. (laughs) You're Uh, giving away the secret. Yes, exactly. David, before we let you go, uh, when are we producing Evil Dead the musical here in town? Oh, gosh. I wanted to this do... was a great time to do it. I mean, I told Josh, said David's been wanting to do it, but he knows I would, he I, can't I, do it here. I could come out of retirement to be a part of that with you. Hmm. We need to, I mean, I've wanted to do it for a long time. I've wanted to, uh, it, it, there, but I go, that's great. And other parts I go, ooh, that's, really bad (laughs) we probably don't want to do that but you know um i would love to do it yeah if i could find the the right timing to do it i would do it all right so call sam tell him we want to have a big 40 year anniversary special thing here in town he can provide the funds and there you go on a great show I'll, I'll 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 get Bruce on the phone right now. Let me see. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else? Uh, no, uh, David. Thank you so much. Um, hey, something that we've wanted to do for a while uh, was talk to you about Evil Dead. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm. I told him I was like, it's it's rare for me to not watch it at least once a month. I love the original Evil Dead. Um, it's in my monthly calendar. I'm just like, you know what? I think I'm gonna pop in Evil Dead. <laughs> I just love it. Like I could watch it on silent and just do the dialogue myself. If yeah, I was, you know, really lonely and bored. And you've done it before, haven't you? I have. <laughs> I have. I actually on the plane ride back today. Me and Matt actually got separated in our seats, Delta. Um, which Delta was not the best uh flight experience I've ever had. Um, so She's like in the very back of the plane and I'm like in row 16 with two strangers and um, I'm watching Ghostbusters and uh, so is the the girl beside me is like half asleep, half awake and she starts to kind of watch my screen, the original Ghostbusters and I don't have headphones on. I'm just watching it in the silence. No subtitles for it. Just watching it because I know everything they're saying. And, um, Be gone, uh, you're mucus. Yeah, she uh, she pulls out her headphones and she goes, "You can we can share these headphones." I said, "No, you go ahead. I know every line." And <laughs> I'm just watching it in silence, and she's probably like, "What a freak!" Like, yeah, who knows every line of any movie? A guy who does a podcast—that's <laughs> that's, that's right. You they have, have to. I have so so much respect for you. Uh, even though your criticism of the new Star Wars is unreasonable, uh, we'll let it slide. Oh, not at all. Not at all. That's that's an episode for another time. David versus Josh, the Star Wars. Yeah, Uh, we we should do that. Yeah, we should. should. And I listen after I heard you guys do your uh, Infinity War in-game special. I've been dying to do something Marvel with you guys. We should. We should get you guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We would like to do that. Uh, I know. I I, every time we approach anything Marvel, I go, "Oh my God, these guys are going to rake me over the coals. I'm going to make so many mistakes." Oh my God. (laughs) I thought you were great. I really did. But but it's interesting. Um, uh, We were talking about because we're 
we're right now in the middle of season four. We're getting ready to, you know, we're planning season five now and what are we going to do and how we're going to do it. And Tim always interweaves all these freaking themes through the season of, you know, this, yeah, this year we're doing female empowerment. What? How is I spit on your grave, female empowerment, dude, come on, you know, or whatever. Um, but, <laughs> but we were talking about what are, what's the Marvel we're going to do for, for season five. Um, because we just finished, uh, what did we just finish? Can't remember. Uh, uh, we because we, we've done like two in the past week, uh, and I can't remember what they were. But anyway, uh, yeah, we. I'd love to get you guys on, and let's do a big Marvel. Uh, let's pick one like my favorite. Let's pick Winter Soldier, uh, and just do that one. As, yeah. as far as we'll do keys, you guys can do all of the geekery that comes from it, where it came from and what we comic got. book issue that came out of or whatever. We got I'm you. Like, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. it was, it's been fun talking. We appreciate you, you really, really. So thank you. Thank you. I'll miss you, man. All right. Be good. Night, man. Right. That was fascinating stuff. Riveting. Riveting. And we are so fortunate to uh, know David Horton mm. and um, that we can just call up friends like him and say, hey, you want to come tell your Evil Dead stories that you've probably told a thousand <laughs> times over the past 40 years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So thank you, David. Thank we, you, Dave. We love and appreciate you. Absolutely. It's been so, great, man. You know, what a great way to kick off October. You mm -hmm. went to Comic-Con. We talked Evil Dead, and, and there's a lot more left mm -hmm. next week. We're diving into the world of Tim Burton. Mm. Uh, we're going to just have a smorgasbord of, of Tim Burton content that we're going to talk about next week. So between now and then, get on your favorite streaming services, mm -hmm. pull out your DVDs, whatever. I've already gotten a head start. I've already got Edward Scissorhands okay. uh, watched in preparation for okay. our talk. I got Beetlejuice on the list. I'm not going to watch Sweeney Todd because I've seen it a thousand times, so yeah. I can handle that one. Once you've um, been Sweeney Todd, I don't think you want to watch Sweeney Todd. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> uh, and I've also got Corpse Bride on the list as well. So Nightmare Before Christmas. And Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously. Another yeah. one I've seen a million times, but... Yeah. But you'll watch that one this a million one, and two. Yeah. And it's a short one, so... Yeah. Yeah. And it's one you can do anytime between now and Christmas. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. I mean, so, yeah. technically... Could do it any holiday because they'd see the Easter tree and they see the bunny, Easter bunny, bunny. Uh, so, Nightmare for Christmas is like a year-round movie. Oh yeah, and any my, any Tim Burton movie is a year-round movie. Yeah. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, all of them are just iconic. So find your favorite Tim Burton films. Um, we know that a lot of them, uh, especially these days, they're Johnny Depp, Helena Bottom Carter, and Danny Elfman music, but. They're still so great. They still hit so well. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a brilliant genius. He's the madman. He also gave us Batman in 89. He did. So uh, find your favorite Tim Burton films. Watch them before we talk next week. Send in your thoughts, your questions, uh, your feelings towards some of his movies. Because uh, there are some people who don't like his take on uh, Alice. Mm. A lot of people did not like it. Forgot uh, about they that. didn't like Charlie. I did not like that one. That's I didn't true. Either. That's true. I didn't either. So we have a lot. We to do talk have a about lot to talk so about. That, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I can already tell. Like yeah. this is going to be a good one. <laughs> this is. So check out your Tim Burton stuff yeah. in preparation. Also, while you're watching all your Tim Burton Halloween movies and and all that good stuff, go ahead and and leave us. Hi.
stars. Oh, how sweet. Adorable. Adorable. I've missed uh, the adorableness that is Emma. Well, she knows that you're here, so she's anxious to come down here and visit you. Okay. So when we wrap up, we'll make that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And while you're doing all that, go to 30nerdypodcast.com, head to the directory. That's going to give you all of our social media, where to find us, Twitter, Facebook, The Works. Um, I think the only thing we don't have social media-wise is Snapchat. Uh, we're definitely not on Tinder. Um, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, we may have an OnlyFans one day. You, never you don't know. have to be lonely <laughs> at nerdsonly.com alright nerds and nerdettes you have a great week weekend we'll check you next week about Tim Burton have a great October it's the best time of the year it's the most wonderful time of the year indeed and uh, Juice you have a good week my friend and same to you we will catch you nerds later cheers to you I don't have